Revelation chapter 7 this morning. It's, uh, the title is The Sealed and Those from the Great Tribulation. We are in this period of time in the scripture, in Revelation, where we are in a period called the Great Tribulation. And this really spans uh, chapters 6 through 19, and it's a period of time where God is going to pour out his wrath on a world that has rejected his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says in in 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians 15, uh, and, and, and it tells us that the church... You and I, believers in Jesus, will be removed from this earth before this great tribulation occurs. The Bible says that God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that really good news? This is not a new doctrine. This has been around for hundreds of years. Ever since the church was born, this idea has been around, because the Bible clearly teaches it. God has made it fit, saw fit, to make sure that we understand it. The church will be removed, and then judgment will take place on this earth. And that's something that people don't like to hear, but it's the truth. I like the truth. I like to be told the truth. Is anybody fed up with lies? I am. The word of God is truth. And so we're dealing with this period. And last week we looked at the first six seals of this revelation period as the Lamb of God goes to the throne of God and and God the Father is sitting on the throne and a scroll, a seven-sealed scroll was given to him and and Jesus Christ opens those scrolls. And each one of those seals is a judgment upon the earth that's coming. And so there's seven seals. Then upon the seventh seal opening, there's going to be seven trumpet judgments. And upon the seventh trumpet judgment, there is going to unleash another seven bowls of wrath of God. Of God. And so we look at this. And this is a period of time that Jesus spoke in Matthew's gospel He said, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. There is going to be a remnant upon the earth when the church is removed and the tribulation begins on the earth, which is yet future, obviously, to us. People will be able to get saved, but it's going to be very difficult. You and I have received Christ at a time when it's really convenient and easy. But there's coming a time when the church is removed that the deception is going to be... You think the deception is is heavy right now? Has anybody aware that there's deception right now in the media and other places? It's pretty obvious. You don't even know what's true anymore. On either side, you, you don't even know what's true. And yet God is going to take care of all this. And so we are rapidly coming to that part. But there are, people will be able to get saved during that time. But there is going to be a delusion, the Bible tells us, that will come upon the earth. It's easy for us now, but it's going to be really hard later on in the future during this great tribulation period. And chapter 7 this morning is a proof, in fact, that there will be a remnant saved out of that tribulation. But it will cost them, most of them, their lives. Because they will be hunted by this character that we call the Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist is not some man who knows that he's the Antichrist. 
He just knows that he, he doesn't know anything. He's just a man who thinks he's got, it could be any politician. We don't look for the Antichrist because he's going to be revealed after the church is removed. So there's no sense in figuring out who this guy is. But he's just going to be a really, really charismatic leader. He's going to have answers. He's going to be a great speaker. He's going to have great power. People are going to see him, and they're not going to think, oh, this is Mr. Antichrist. No, it's, it's not like that at all. People are going to see him like any other politician. But the Bible tells us who he is. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, we have everything to look forward to, but that time is going to be very difficult. Very difficult. And this time of tribulation, especially at this time that we're looking at, chapter 7, is going to be a time of persecution for two groups of people that God is going to preserve during the Great Tribulation period. 144,000 Jews from, the, from Israel, he's going to preserve them, he's going to seal them, we'll talk about that soon. And also another group of people we know as the Gentiles, a people from every, every tongue, every nation. It's going to be the Gentiles, even during the Tribulation, after the church is removed. There will be still that remnant on the earth and they are going to be running for their lives and we're going to see even the remnant the 144,000 are going to have to be preserved in the rock city of Petra we're going to read that because the antichrist in the middle of this season this seven year period he is going to show his true colors and he is going to hunt the Jews the faithful Jews and he's going to hate them especially because now they're Christians it's bad enough being a Jew at that time but a Jew that has received Christ is going to receive the vehement anger from the man of sin the man of lawlessness the one whom the bible calls the antichrist but those dwelling on the earth they're going to fawn over this man they're not going to know him as that. They're just going to see him as a man who's got a lot of answers and can speak really well. He's got a lot of power. So it's going to be very interesting, very interesting. And last week we looked at the first six seals. We looked at the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which are just judgments that God is going to bring upon the earth. And it's bad enough that this period is going to be riff with war and rumors of war, but it will be intensified dramatically and exponentially when God pours out his wrath, when he begins as he's opening these seals and these trumpets and these bowls. It's going to get increasingly worse. The Bible calls them birth pangs. These are the pangs, ladies, that you all know very well when you, if you had children. It first starts very small. There's a little contraction. Ooh, what was that? Next thing you know. The intensity, the frequency, the intensity, the frequency, and pretty soon you're like, oh my, we better get her to the doctor, get her to the hospital. Birth pangs. And the Bible says that these things are ramping up. Has anybody noticed things ramping up? Are you alive? Are you got your eyes open? Things are ramping up, even now, even now. We are not in the tribulation period. We're getting close because when, we, when the church is removed, all hell is going to break loose. And every, everything that they've wanted for so long, that the earth has wanted, they're going to get. They're going to get it. It's going to come in like a flood. And the Antichrist is going to make sure it is. And all of you and I, the church, this problem that the world has is going to be removed. And the world will get what they want. And unfortunately, that breaks the heart of God. Because he would have none to perish, but all come to repentance. 
His judgment is a strange work. You've heard it said before. He doesn't want anybody to perish. It's his will that none should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. Very important. And so let's read the very last uh, section of the, the sixth seal from chapter six, because there's a question posed at the end of this section that is very important. Uh, Let's read chapter 6, verses 12. We're just going to read this. It says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black of sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. The stars of the heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? I would have have you pay attention to that last section of the last verse in that chapter who is able to stand because chapter 7 gives us the answer isn't it wonderful how the bible makes sense most people think that the book of revelation is unknowable <clears throat> some churches and some pastors won't even teach it and certainly it is riff with all kinds of speculation and conspiracy theories and all kinds of weirdness but when you look at it Point blank. When you look at it literally, it makes complete sense. Now, there are mysteries about it. There are things that we don't quite understand now. But as, as, as these things begin to unfold on the earth, they are going to be very, they're going to, can you imagine being a person in the great tribulation and reading, they're going to have a menu in front of them. What's happening next? A menu. What would you like today? I'll take a little wrath. And I shouldn't joke about that. But they are going to see what's going to happen and what's happening next. And it's all here catalog for us. God has never lied to us, folks. He has been 100% accurate in the things that he has foretold before. They've all literally come to pass. And why would he change things now? He's told us in advance. Doesn't that encourage you as well? I like the idea that God tells me. That's what a good shepherd does. He prepares, doesn't he? A shepherd goes into a field and removes the poisonous plants so that when his sheep go in, they're not going to die from poisoned food. That's what a shepherd does. That's what a good shepherd does. And because Jesus is the good shepherd, he tells us in advance what's coming. That soothes my soul because nothing is out of order as far as God is concerned. Everything is going as planned. And we don't need to freak out and lose our peace. But know that he, the Prince of Peace, is in control. Do you believe that? You must. And I pray that you do. Pray that you do understand that. And so, the answer to this last question in chapter 6 is who is going to stand? Who is going to stand? And we find out who it is. Let's look at it. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or any tree. So this is going to be an interesting time. Think about no wind. (coughs) Pardon me, dry weather. No wind on the earth. That's going to create some interesting conditions, isn't it? 
And then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Now these four angels, just as a side note, I believe that these four angels are going to be part of the seven, four of the seven angels that we read about in chapter 8 of Revelation. And specifically in verse 7 when it talks about the first uh, trumpet that's going to sound. It's that they, this angel is going to strike all the vegetation of the earth, and the other one in verse eight is going to strike the seas. And so there's going to be judgment. I believe these four are part of those seven because they're waiting. They're waiting. God is telling them, "Don't do these things because there's some unfinished business. We have to seal the servants of our God. We're going to seal the the, the 144,000 of the Jewish remnant, these evangelists that are going to evangelize during the time of the tribulation. We have to make sure that they're sealed, that they're protected before God pours out his wrath. Aren't you glad that God is like that? He's like that. I love that about him. And then in verse 3, and and, and they said, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads, on their foreheads. Notice that God is not going to unleash the seventh seal, which occurs in the very first chapter of chapter uh, chapter 8. He's not going to open that seal until then. So what we have here this morning is a, what we call a parenthetical chapter. It's a chapter like some other chapters we'll get into in the book of Revelation that aren't really um, forwarding the narrative, the, the timeline. It's like there's a six seals and then there's, this, there's, there's a, a parenthetical chapter that we have and it describes situations during that time period. And we see them in other parts of other chapters. And so we're going to see that. So it's a parenthetical chapter. But notice, he's not going to unleash the seventh seal until he does what? He protects and he preserves the 144,000 Jews. And notice that this is a pattern of God. This is his character. He doesn't judge the righteous with the wicked. And it doesn't mean that Christians won't go through times of tribulation because the Bible clearly says that they will. In fact, in 2 Timothy Paul says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. They're going to go through a tribulation of sorts, but it's nothing compared to the great tribulation. The Bible makes it very clear. You and I go through trials and tribulations, don't we? Have you been through a trial and tribulation? I think every one of us have. So we all have. But there's a difference between the trials and the persecutions that we may receive on this earth Quite a bit different than when you receive the wrath of Almighty God. That's a whole different ball game, isn't it? Whole different ball game. So many of the saints of the past nineteen hundred plus years, they've suffered tribulation, they've suffered difficulties, even to the point of death. But they will not go through the great tribulation, obviously because they're not alive. But even if those of us, if you're a Christian, you will not go through this period. And why? Because of this wonderful verse that I've read earlier. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a biblical precedent of this. God removed Enoch before the flood. Remember, the flood judgment was a judgment of God upon the earth. Remember, the earth became so wicked that God told um, Noah to begin building an ark because in 120 years, the whole earth is going to be judged. And he did. And prior to the flood, God removed Enoch, who was a type of the church. God translated him. He raptured him, in a sense. 
And so we see this precedent throughout the scripture. We know that he separated Noah and his family through the tribulation, through the flood judgment, like these 144,000, like the Jewish remnant on the earth in the great tribulation, just like Noah and his family being preserved through it. Same thing with these 144,000. They're going to be sealed just like Noah was preserved. And God removed Lot Remember, and his family, before judgment came upon Sodom and Gomorrah, he removed Rahab and her household before he brought judgment upon Jericho. And in a similar manner, God is going to do the same with this 144,000. And look at verse 3 again. It says, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed, underline that word, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. This word is a Greek word, uh, sfragizo, which literally means to stamp. It's a signet. It's a private mark. It's for security and preservation. It's something that God does to protect, and he seals. And when he places a seal on something, there is no one who can undo that seal. No one. And we're going to look at this before we take communion. I want to challenge you with that as we go along. So, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And the forehead is a prominent feature of the body, isn't it? When you run into somebody in the mall or in the grocery store, the first thing you see is their face, and their forehead is right there before you. It speaks of the thought life. It speaks where faith and reason and choices are made. And this is where God is going to seal them. He's going to stamp them how, how he's going to do that, I don't know. Is it going to be visible? I don't know. But he's going to seal them, and they will be preserved. There will be nothing that God does upon the earth that will harm them. He will make sure that they are preserved. Why? Because he's going to use them as his mouthpiece, at the very least, to the, to the children of Israel. The Bible says that eventually all Israel will be saved, and, and it's, they're going to have to go through a really tough spot before they get there. The Holocaust and, and the, the Nazi uh, concentration camps were nothing compared to what's coming for the Jews. There's going to be more killed in the tribulation than has ever been known combined. And it's interesting, too, I find, that he places the seal on their foreheads because we learn later on in Revelation, and we're going to get there, in Revelation 13, we find this false prophet who is a part of the demonic trinity with the beast or the Antichrist. He is going to have those on the earth receive a mark on their foreheads or on their right hands. And Revelation 13, 16 speaks of this. And notice, again, he's a counterfeiter. Satan is a counterfeiter. The Antichrist is going to be a counterfeiter. The false prophet is going to be a counterfeiter. Only counterfeiting what God has done. Do you ever notice that? Remember the plagues of Egypt? <laughs> Pharaoh's enchanters doing the same things. If they were really that good, they should counteract those things instead of going, well, you, if you're going to bring blood on the Nile, so are we. Really? Is your God bigger than my God? No. <laughs> He's a counterfeiter. In fact, Jesus said for... Speaking of this time period, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonder to deceive, if possible, even the elect. That means deception is going to be rampant. It's going to be incredible. How important it is to receive Christ now? Very important. Don't wait around. Don't push it away and say, well, I'll just wait until the rapture of the church. And then, you know, if that really happens, then I'll know that God is real. 
People think like that. But you have no idea the deception that's coming. And you think you're going to be able to stand it? It's going to be a miracle for every person saved during that tribulation period. In fact, 2 Thessalonians, Paul said this. He says, the coming of the lawless one, who is the character we call the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all power. God's going to allow him to have all power. Signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth. God loves you and he gives you the truth. Do you love the truth? I love the truth. That they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Believe me, there is a deception coming that is going to be so great. If you think you're strong, you're going to fall on your face. Because without Christ in your life, without the Spirit of God, you are a pawn. No, not one of us, I don't think, has been attacked by Satan himself. We've been messed with by demons. Every one of us, I'm sure, have been tempted by them, have been messed with. But can you imagine being tempted by the devil himself? Without Christ, you're done. You're done. This being who's very powerful, he's not power, more powerful than God. He's a created being. No, make no mistake. You don't have to fear him. He's a defeated foe because Christ has defeated him on the cross at Calvary. But don't think for one minute that you have the strength and the power to withstand his deceptions. It's going to be a miracle. It was a miracle that you got saved. My salvation is a miracle. I was totally engrossed in my sin when God knocked on my door, and I found him so irresistible. Isn't it great how much he loves? I love it. I love it. So verse 4, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, and 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And why are they sealed? Because they will be hunted. They will be hunted by this man of sin. In this first three and a half year period, they will be sealed. And there's going to come a point where the Antichrist is going to hunt them. All believers, especially the Jews, the persecution is going to be incredible. The massacre, the martyrdom is going to be huge on a great scale we've never seen before. All the world wars, nothing compared to this. The Holocaust, nothing compared to this. This is the worst time. That's why Jesus said unless he shortened that time, nobody would survive it. No one would survive it. God is placing them under a sort of protected custody. <laughs> I like that. From the Antichrist and his armies. And they will be used by the Lord to reach out, to minister to those on the earth. And one of, one of the things I really love is that God is going to preserve them. And how is he going to do that? He's certainly going to put a seal on their foreheads, as we have just read. But the Bible says <clears throat> that God, excuse me, is also preparing a place and has prepared a place for them that when the Antichrist comes after them, they are going to have a place to go, a place to flee. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 63, it says this, The Lord in judgment, it says, uh, Who is this who comes from Edom? We know that Petra is in the land of Edom over in Jordan today. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? Basra is that area around Petra. This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. That's the answer. 
Why is your apparel red? There's like this dialogue going on, going on. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? And the answer is, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them what in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood was sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come." God is going to, when he returns, for the, when he returns in his physical second coming at the end of that seven-year tribulation period, he is going to take care of business. He's going to take care of business. In Isaiah chapter, uh, actually, let me go to Micah for the sake of time. You can look at Isaiah chapter 41, 17 through 20 if you'd like, but I'm going to read to you another prophecy in Micah. Micah chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. And it's speaking about this time period that we're talking about. He says, I will put them together like sheep in the fold. And I love this. The word fold is literally the word basra, where God is going to shepherd them and hold them together during that time as he protects them in the rock city of Petra. Anybody been to the Rock City of Petra? Raise your hand. Virginia has. So she knows. I've never even been there. I can't. I'd love to go there. But it is impregnable. It's made of rock. I mean, what do you do with that? All you can do is nuke it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a narrow pathway, isn't it, Virginia? There's a, and part of it, there's, there's, there's huge mountains on each side. And you've got this, huge, this little valley that, for those of you who have eaten too much during COVID-19, you're going to have to suck it in a little bit, and you're going to walk through, and you walk through for quite a while, and then you get to an open space, and then you'll see, and there's places, caverns, and they'll hide in the rocks, and God has already prepared for them. And he has today. Christians have already put in scriptures and things in there in anticipation of when that day occurs. They're going to be well fortified. They're going to be well prepared. It's there today. You can go visit it. God is going to do it. He's prepared a place for them. And we see in Revelation 12, which is uh, really around the midpoint of the tribulation period, what does it say in Revelation 12, verse 13 through 17? It says this, Now when the dragon, when the, the Satan himself saw that he had been cast to the earth, and, and we'll get into all of this in context later, uh, later on, weeks from now, he persecuted the woman. This dragon is Satan, and he is going to persecute the woman who is Israel, who gave birth to the male child. Who is the male child? Jesus Christ. And notice, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. A times, times, and a half a time. A time is a year, a time is two years, and a half a time is a half a year. 42 months, 1,260 days. Three and a half years. Does that ring a bell? Two wings of a great eagle. And so the serpent... Spewed water, and this is going on in verse 15 of of that Revelation chapter 12. And so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. 
But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, the Jews, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so we see very clearly, and and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. I would encourage you to read all of Matthew 24. He talks about this too, that when when the abomination of desolation is set up, and we've, we've talked about that already in this midpoint of this tribulation period that Jesus says flee don't even get your belongings trust me I've got it all ready for you flee to the mountains of Judea and go to the rock city of Petra he tells them to go there where they will be protected I love that that's what a good shepherd does it's what a good shepherd always does Jesus is our good shepherd amen He loves you with an everlasting love. And again, we're talking about a period that's very difficult to talk about. Very difficult. And you know, I I didn't have it in plan to get into the book of Revelation when we did. It just so happened to be the next chapter, the next book that we were going to be getting into. You remember when uh, two years ago we started in James... And we've just been going systematically through the New Testament. And then on Thursday nights, we're going systematically through the Old Testament. And we just happened to land at Revelation around when the COVID-19 thing happened. I don't think that's any... I'm not saying that, you know, we're... You know, I, I think we're getting very, very close to the church being taken, okay? I really believe that. Because things are getting increasing. I, we all agree with that, right? Things are ramping up. It was no mistake, I believe, and I had no clue, (laughs) had no clue. And I love how God does that because there's no way I could have known that. Nobody's seen it coming. The hospitals weren't ready for it. It hit us, and we were caught. We weren't ready. Back into our text this morning, verse 5 of seven, or chapter 7, it says, Now of the tribe of Judah, finally, 12,000 were sealed. Of the, of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Notice who is the first in this listing here. There, there's really, I haven't figured out a rhyme or reason of the order of this list, but there's some really interesting peculiarities about this list and, and I don't pretend to know all of them. There are many. But you're going to notice that there's a tribe or two missing, and especially one that will be very obvious here in a moment. But it starts off with Judah. Judah has always been the lawgiver. Judah has been the one that Jesus came out of that tribe. And so he's listed first here for good reason. He's the law. It represents the law. It represents the lion. It represents Jesus Christ. And... Um, so these 144,000, as, as we continue to read them, they will be preserved to go through this judgment. And God knows who they are, these 144,000. We don't know. Apart from DNA, no one really knows if they belong. If you're a Jew, do you, which tribe do you belong to? Does God have a problem with that? In 70 AD, all the genealogical records in Jerusalem were destroyed when Titus destroyed Jerusalem with the fire, remember? And and, and the temple was destroyed. Their genealogical records were destroyed. But does God know who these 144,000 Jews are from specific tribes? Believe me, he does. He knows the very DNA strain of each and every one of us. He can say, 
He can look at you and say, I know exactly where you came from. And if you've got a moment, I can tell you. First there was Adam. And then, there, you know, he could go through it. We all came from Adam. And ultimately, we all came after the flood. We all came from Shem, Ham, or Japheth. Do you know that? One blood. Enough variability in our DNA to give us all the skin colors that we have, all the different characteristics of the human race. One blood. We all came from one. It's a fact. I don't care what anybody says. The science proves it. People who don't like the Bible and don't like God will try to disprove it, but they're wrong. I believe in the Bible, and it's very understandable. But God knows the DNA of these. He knows who they are. And verse 6, of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Again, everywhere where you see the word sealed from verses 3 through 8 in this chapter is the same word that I was talking about before, sfregizo, the stamp, the sealing that is irrevocable. It's a seal that God places. It's a seal. Of the tribe of Asher, verse 6, 12,000. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. It's interesting here, after Naphtali, there should be another one listed here. You ever notice that Dan, the tribe of Dan, is not mentioned? Now, Naphtali and Dan were both brothers from their mother, Bilhah, who was Rachel's handmaid. Remember, Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel. And Rachel had a handmaid, if you remember, she couldn't have children, so she tells Jacob to go have a child by her handmaid, Bilhah, and certainly Jacob, being the most discerning man in the world, goes and has relations with her, and out comes Naphtali and Dan. But notice, Naphtali is mentioned, but Dan isn't. Why is it? Well, there's some speculation. Could be that Dan... uh, Dan was certainly, we see something really interesting in Genesis 49 when Jacob was old and on his deathbed, he said this prophecy concerning Dan as he spoke to all of his 12 sons. He spoke Dan and he said this, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. And then he says, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. A very cryptic kind of spooky verse that Jacob prophesied over the tribe of Dan. Some believe that the Antichrist is going to come from the tribe of Dan. And it's very possible. There's some scripture that could corroborate that, and others believe that he's going to be a Gentile. It's hard to see. We don't really know. And you know what? It doesn't really matter whether he's a Jew or a Gentile. Why? Because we're not going to be here anyway. Amen? Amen! Let's go have lunch. (laughs) So... So that is the deal. Dan is not mentioned here, and it could be that they're missing in this, last, in this list because they were the main forerunners in idolatry. They were one of the first tribes to break away from the whole, uh, the whole group of tribes and start their own thing. You remember, uh, I would encourage you to listen or watch the message on our website uh, from last Thursday. We got into Judges chapter 17 and 18. Couldn't have happened at a better time. It goes along really well with what we're talking about because Dan was a tribe that began its idolatry, went to Ephraim and to this prophet named, or, or this uh, man named Micah who had a house full, full of shrines. And they, ultimately, they, they sacked this man's house. And then they went further up north and built another city, 
a city way to the north, right on the border of Lebanon. It used to be called Laish or Leshem, but today we know it as Tel Dan. For those of us who went to Israel, we visited Tel Dan. And they started idolatrous worship there. And what happened several hundred years after that? Jeroboam set his golden calf on the altar there in Dan. We visit that altar when we go to Israel. It's there. It's verifiable. He set one up in Dan and Bethel. The tribe of Dan, they were the forerunners in this idolatry. Could it be that they're not listed because of that? It's very possible. Going on in verse 7 of our text, says, Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Verse 8, of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. And we don't really hear much more of these 144,000 until chapters 12 and Chapters 14 of Revelation, we see more of them at that point. But notice in verse 9, we run across a different group of people. So now we see Israel, the 144,000 being sealed, and now there's a whole different group of people that are going to be martyred, but saved and in glory during this tribulation period. It will cost them their lives. And if, you're, if it doesn't cost you your life, it's only because you've been, you're a good runner. And you've been able to outrun them. There are cameras everywhere in the world now. If you have a cell phone, if you're a criminal, word of advice, and this is kind of bad for me to say, but I think any criminal would know. If you really want to be a criminal, you better not carry around a cell phone, a watch, whatever. You get rid of it. Then you'll be off the grid, but you're still going to be seen by people. You're still going to be seen by cameras. And do you think there are things in place to identify you? Yes, they are. But notice, now we're on to the second half of this book, of this chapter, and it says, after these things, again, metatauta. We saw that in our, in our outline of the chapter in, in chapter 1, verse 19. So now, even after these things, and in fact, the very beginning of this chapter said, after these things. After what things? After the sixth seal. God sealed these 144,000, and now we get to verse 9 here. After these things, the same exact words, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number, notice, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Does that sound like the Jews or somebody different? Different, right? Somebody different. These are the Gentiles. Peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes. Where do we get that from? We saw that back in Revelation chapter 6, didn't we? We saw another, the, the same group, or at least a, a part of this group. It says, Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a, a while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So in the tribulation, even in chapter 6 when it started, there are people going to be martyred, and this group here is going to be martyred as well. They will be martyred, and they will be given a white robe. We believe these are the same group of people, I believe. Notice, with palm branches in their hands. Does that remind you of Palm Sunday? And then we get to verse 10, and crying, these, 
these people of tongues and peoples and tribes and nations crying out with a loud voice saying, what salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So now we're speaking of God the Father who is on the throne, God who is spirit that no one can see, God the Father who dwells in unapproachable light, who has no visage that we can look upon him in these bodies and live. We need new bodies to even stand in his presence. And do you know that we're not going to see God the Father? We will always see him as it's pictured here in his effulgence. It's going to be glorious, but we're not going to see a figure. He's a spirit. No man has seen God and lived, but we will see Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. Right? We will see him. Amen? Aren't you glad this is your destiny? This is your hope, Christian. That's why they call it a blessed hope. A blessed hope. And all the angels, verse 11, stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Another doxology, another utterance of praise that this group gives to God the Father and to his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God who fills all in all. Love it. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these away, arrayed? Awayed, I sound like Elmer Fudd. Who are these awayed in white robes? Sorry. A little levity goes a long way in this dark period, right? <laughs> then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And this is interesting, isn't it? It's a rhetorical question. And I love how the Lord does that. He, he, he asks questions. People who know in heaven, who already know the answer, they're asking John, who are these arrayed in white? <laughs> who are these arrayed in white? And John says, sir, you know. I have no clue. I have an idea, but you know. And I love how the Lord draws us out. He already knows the answer. He knows the answer, but he calls on, he asks the question to draw us out. Do you remember the time, and this is really wonderful, I love how the Lord does this. Remember after Jesus' resurrection, remember how he was, um, he, he resurrected and there was two of his disciples that were on their road to Emmaus. And remember Jesus in a different form appeared to them, they didn't know it was him, because he had a resurrection body, something they hadn't seen before. Still the same Jesus Christ, but somehow quite different, and they weren't really sure. Jesus meets them on the way, and do you remember the dialogue they had? I, I love this part. And again, this is one of those things where God's drawing out, drawing out who are these arrayed in white, white robes? <laughs> same kind of thing in Luke. He said, he said to them, Jesus, speaking to his these two disciples on the road to Demaeus, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then one of those, name was Cleopas, and answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which appeared in these days? Have you been alive at all? Have you you've been walking, are your eyes open? Are you awake? Are you sleeping? And Jesus said, what things? Oh, you mean the most significant event in the world? No, I don't know anything about it. Had nothing to do with me. Do you get the point? He just draws them out. What things? Why? Because Jesus didn't know the answer? No, because he knew the answer. But he's saying, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? 
and he draws with cords of love, doesn't he? He's always drawing what things. And so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And I love that about Jesus. He's always drawing. So this angel says, do you know who these are, John? He says, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones, notice, underline this, who came out of what? Great tribulation. Not just tribulation. It's a specific period of time that we've been talking about. They've come out of great tribulation. And notice, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Well, that's a paradox. That's an oxymoron. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. When you have blood, if you get garment, if you have a white garment and, and you, get, you have a cut and it's all over, it's like, wow, it's very obvious, right? And you're washed in the blood of the Lamb. It speaks of moral purity. It speaks of spiritual purity, doesn't it? Purity. When you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, you are white as snow. Isn't that what Isaiah told us? Even though your sins are as scarlet, I've made you white as snow. Love that. Love, love that. And even Jesus in Matthew 24, I, you know, that chapter is so pivotal, pivotal. That and Daniel 9 are the keys to the all end time prophecy. But notice what he, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21. For then there will be great tribulation. There it is again. And he's speaking of the time that we're talking about now. Such as not has been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. It's pretty clear. Wouldn't you agree? Everybody nod. It is pretty clear. You see it. <laughs> he spoke it. So these are clearly saved out of this great tribulation. And they, their robes were washed. The blood of Christ is powerful. And we are saved by Christ's sacrifice on the cross through his blood. And this is why we're going to take communion here shortly. We remember the blood of Christ. We remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. How could we forget? And yet our, our life, our time in this world, it just seems to dull us. It seems to get us in a, it's like one of those gerbils. Have you ever seen a gerbil in one of those little cages? And he's just running and running and going nowhere. And yet he seems to enjoy it, but he's going nowhere. You know, he's got that euphoric look on his face like, I'm going to get somewhere, I'm going to get somewhere. He's going nowhere. That would be like hell. Think you're going somewhere and you're not going anywhere. But there is no safety for you if you're not covered by the blood of Christ. Just as the exodus, the night that the children of Israel left, Egypt, and the blood was, the lamb's blood was put on the doorpost and the lentil. If you were in that door, you were covered by the blood. The death angel passed over and you were unharmed. But if you were not inside a house where the blood was applied, you would lose the firstborn of every household that didn't, they would, they would die. So the blood of Christ is so important. Therefore, they are before the throne. This group of Gentiles martyr during this tribulation period. It gives us a glimpse of who they are and why they're there. Therefore, verse 15, they are before the throne of God and they serve him night and day in his temple and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Notice that. And they shall never hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Perhaps these are things that while they were on the earth that they went through. The hunger, the thirst, the heat, the difficulty. Perhaps these are things that they went through 
through. Does that mean that because you're a child of God that you're not going to go through difficulty? Well, if, if, if being a child of God means that I'm not going to go through difficulty, then I must not be a child of God because I've gone through difficulty, and all of you have as well. But do not lose heart, Christians, brothers and sisters. Do not lose heart, for these things must be. It doesn't mean that your Lord does not love you. It doesn't mean that, he, that you somehow missed something. Hey, being in this fallen world, it's part and parcel to live in a fallen world. Things are going to happen, even to those who are righteous. Some have said, why does God, why doesn't God, um, um, well, never mind, it doesn't matter. <laughs> God loves you. For the Lamb, verse 7, who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them, notice, and lead them to fountains of living waters, and God will wipe away their tears from their eyes because all of their toil, all of their suffering is now going to be ended. Those who are martyred during that time, they are going to love Christ and they're going to remember the things that they went through and they are going to be so elated that they'll never see it again. Only bliss, only heavenly bliss the provision, the love, the acceptance, the you know everything, holy love, holy pure. I, I can you imagine. It's just like just pour this over my head, you know. In Revelation chapter twenty-one, during the new heavens and the, and the new Jerusalem, what does it say? And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any more death, nor sorrow, no crying, nor shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. Folks, we live in a world that is only going to last for a short time longer. We know that there, the rapture occurs, the seven-year period, the thousand-year reign of Christ, and then at the end of that, a new heavens and a new earth, a new Jerusalem coming down, and that will be the eternal state for every one of us. And it, will, it, it speaks of this. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. I don't know about you, but I am so ready for that. Even on my best days. Have you had a really great day? Everything seems to go well. Wouldn't it be nice if you had great days like that all the time? You wouldn't appreciate them after a while. But there's coming a day. Now, I'd like to challenge you with something before we take communion. If Sarah could go ahead and come on up, Sarah. and uh, She's going to lead us in a song of worship. And what I'd like to do is to have every one of you, uh, when you're ready, after in, in just a few moments, I'll have you come up one by one. Or you can stand behind each other. You can space yourself as you feel comfortable. Come and grab the matzah and the juice. This represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's symbolic. It's not real. Jesus never said it was real. When he broke the bread and he passed the cup, he wasn't saying, oh, by the way, guys, this is really my body. Enjoy. Cannibals do that. This is not cannibalism. This is symbolic. It was meant to be symbolic. Jesus said, as often as you do these things, do them in remembrance of me. You don't sacrifice Christ afresh. He was sacrificed once on the cross. But I want to challenge you with this before we take communion, and then we'll take it. These 144,000 that we read earlier in the chapter, they were sealed by God in their foreheads. And I want to ask you, are you sealed? Are you confirmed by God? In Ephesians 
chapter 1, verse 11. I need to read a few verses for you. Paul to the Ephesians wrote, In him, in Christ, you also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that he who first trusted in Christ, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise, be to the praise of his glory, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you also were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the earnest or the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. When you receive Jesus Christ into your heart, it is an earnest, it's a down payment. And then the redemption, you know, when it talks about being sealed to the day of redemption, in Ephesians again in chapter 4 it says, and do not grieve the spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The day of redemption is the rapture. We have been given the Spirit of God, if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God in you. That is the earnest. That's the down payment. And what happens when you put a down payment? You come back later with the rest of the money and say, here's the rest of the money. I want to redeem what is mine now. That's exactly what happens. You are redeemed at the rapture. That is the the day of redemption. He's already put the down payment on you if you're a child of God. And he's going he's to say, you know what? I'm coming back. I got the rest of the money. In fact, I've already paid for it in my blood. But now I'm going to come and claim it. And you and I will be taken. But are you sealed? Are you sealed? And 2 Corinthians finally will end here and we'll take communion. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has what? Sealed us. There's the same word again that we were looking at in Revelation 7. He sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, as a down payment. That's literally what the word means. As an earnest Layaway. You're in layaway, folks. Sitting on a shelf collecting dust, waiting. Hopefully not sitting on a hopefully not sitting on a counter collecting dust. We have work to do, don't we? We have the marvelous, the greatest thing we could ever have, the, the greatest message we could ever proclaim. And that's Jesus, to proclaim his name. I want to challenge you. Are you one of his this morning? If you are not one of his. Please hear my voice, those of you who are online. Right now, give your heart to Christ. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for every single thing I've ever done. All the wicked things that I've thought. Cleanse me and heal me and make me yours. If you haven't done that today, you need to. You need to. You must be saved. Do you understand? That's God's heart. You must. You have free will. You have free choice. You can do what you want. Many people do. But will you ignore the truth? 
Will you ignore the blatant truth? Will you ignore the love of the truth and resist him any longer? Do not resist him any longer. Give your heart today, now. It's very simple. There's no gyrations. There's no special prayer. It's as simple as, Lord, I'm a sinner. Save my soul. It's that simple. And he will in no wise cast you out. And so as we, as Sarah leads us in a song of worship, I'd have for you to think about that. And if you are one of, if, if you receive Christ for the first time today, then come and take communion. Come and take it. If you have not received Christ, you can take communion. It's not going to do you any good. There's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of hypocritical though, right? Why take something and ingest something that you don't believe in? But as we sing this song, come forward and remember the price that was paid. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for what these tokens represent to us this morning, Lord. They represent your, your body that was broken. Lord, as you endured the, the nails in your wrists and as you endured the, the plaiting of the crown of thorns on your head, as you endured the spike, that Roman nail that was driven through your feet to the wood peg, Lord, as you endured the spear that pierced your side, as you endured, more importantly, the wrath of Almighty God on the cross, the token that nobody could see. Nobody could see it with their naked eye, but yet, God, that was the greatest thing that happened on that cross. And your blood was the price, the very blood of God. And Lord, that's why this morning we, we take these elements in remembrance of you very simply. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you and we thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for being such a great and loving heavenly father to us. You're such a good father. You're such a good shepherd. Lord, you're the great I am. You're the great shepherd. You're the great God, the great king. You're the great I am, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We take this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the cracker. Let's take the uh, matzah. The body of Christ broken for us and we take the the cup for the blood that was shed for the remission of sin amen praise the lord let's stand together and let's give thanks to our great god and king jesus christ amen father we thank you for this time and pray that lord you'd flood our hearts with the sense of your grace and your perp, your wonderful grace in our lives and so we thank you for this time together lord encourage us strengthen us by your spirit and lord help us to not grow weary in well doing help us not to grow discouraged lord in the time that we live even though there's reason to be discouraged honestly lord but lord help us to get our eyes focused off of the things of the earth and to be thinking about you and to be thinking about what you've shown us in advance for our nurture for our admonition for our encouragement lord you're so good lord we're thankful this morning please Glorify yourself in and through each of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 God bless you all. Have a great day.